In light of Russia's invasion and the subsequent war in Ukraine, you may have started hearing more about a small group of the super-rich, the Russian oligarchs. After the fall of the Soviet Union, many already wealthy Russians exploited the state's weaknesses and profited off of it, creating vast business empires. This has led to corruption in the country, as you see with these Russian oligarchs and President Putin feeding off of each other to retain their wealth and power. Recent attempts by Western powers to punish Russia by aiming to financially hurt the wallets of these oligarchs have found little success. But new research from USC Annenberg PhD alum and assistant professor at Dartmouth College Herbert Chang and his colleagues have found a better way to target these powerful oligarchs. And today we have the privilege of speaking with Herbert to learn more. I'm your host Sky Lee and welcome to the Annenverse. Thank you, Herbert, so much for being here today. Oh, thank you. Really excited. So, can you tell me a little bit about how you got into this field of studying Russian oligarchs?、Um, I was contacted by my、uh, college mentor, who I am very good friends with,、um, and then he introduced me to like a qualitative sociologist studying the offshore system. And so, it was a very good like methodological match in terms of like、uh, bringing on expertise to look at the financial network of.、Um, Of clients, their wealth managers, and where they're putting their money in this massive network using network science techniques that I developed here at Annenberg. So this has been a collaboration with、um, Brooke Harrington, which is a wonderful qualitative sociologist of the offshore system,、um, and then also Feng Fu and Dan Rockmore.、Um, they're both at Dartmouth College, and they're professors of mathematics. And so I think my niche was really. Coming from Annenberg, where they put a very big emphasis on balancing qualitative and quantitative methods,、mm. looking at things.、Um, can you discuss what you discovered in your research, and particularly talk about the knockout experiments? The data set that we have—it's like this massive data set of、um, 1.9 million like wealthy clients around the world, and also who manages their money. Using this massive data set, we looked at a few countries of interest. Definitely Russia, China. We looked at. Um, the United States and also Hong Kong as、mm-hmm. well.、Uh, these networks exhibit something called scale-free structures, and so the idea is like, so you know, when, when you make an account on Twitter, they say like, do you want to follow Elon Musk? Do you want to follow these very popular accounts? So there's this preferential attachment mechanism going on, and so what we're seeing is something is very similar. Hap- something similar is happening in finance, where the way wealthy clients find the right wealth managers is through like some internal process where. They find、um, like the more popular or the the one the the wealth managers that are recommended to them. Is one of the considerations that these wealthy individuals make is also like how many clients that these wealth managers have. I think I read that they prefer to connect with wealth managers that have less clients just to maintain that secrecy. Th- that's exactly one of the findings. So. All of these financial networks at the country level exhibit this scale-free structure, but this is more extreme for autocratic countries. Okay. So there's like a consolidation of ties towards some certain more trustworthy wealth managers, basically. And finally, back to your question about knockout experiments. So when we knocked out the key wealth managers, everyone feels it. Right. And so,、um, knocking out key managers in autocratic countries, the entire system is the, the entire system has a has a greater impact, basically. How is it different in、um, democratic nations like the U.S. and Hong Kong? Clients from say the United States、mm-hmm. will use like one or two or three wealth managers because they don't care about spreading their secrets. 
they can diversify the number of both managers that they have because the more people that know your secrets, the more vulnerabilities you have, right? So an individual client can have, um, in, in like democratic countries, might have multiple wealth managers. Okay. Whereas in autocratic countries, they might only have one manager. And so if you remove that one manager, you're breaking apart the system mm. a lot faster than say um, democratic countries. In your study, um, you mentioned that that the British common law is, quote, the operating system of offshore finance. Yeah. So what is the significance of that? And how does it give um, U.S. and Hong Kong an advantage? Does, does it give those democratic nations an advantage? I think there are two aspects to this. And um, it's not so much of an advantage, but this is one of the other findings that we found. So. Okay. Even though autocratic countries exhibit more concentration of secrecy, there is also distinctions between autocratic countries. So if we look at the composition of wealth managers from China, most of them come from China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. And Hong Kong in particular is important because Hong Kong used to be a British colony. And so a lot of Chinese will um, have wealth managers from Hong Kong um, to help them use British common law or or the offshore system basically to, to... help them hide their assets. Um, in contrast, Russia does not have a British colony like right at their doorstep, right? right? So what they what ends up happening is they source a lot of their um, wealth managers from from European countries. And so and this will become like this is important in the second half of the study. So basically, okay. how does the offshore system even work? Right, right. I was about to ask right? you, yeah. So so part of the, the whole offshore system is actually these wealthy clients, they don't actually own their assets. Mm-hmm. So um, all of these assets are assigned to say offshore companies or trusts. And so to give an example, uh, Alisher Usmanov, which was, uh, who was a, like a big oligar- a Russian oligarch that was sanctioned, um, even though his like Italian villa was sanctioned by the Italian go- government, mm-hmm. he had this like big yacht, this, this mega yacht, and it was moored in Hamburg, Germany. But the German authorities couldn't do anything to it um, because it was officially assigned to like some company in the Cayman Islands because it was the property of an offshore company. Like you know, you, you don't really know if this is tied to Usmanov or not. So they couldn't uh, immediately um, seize that yacht. I see. Yeah. Is that legal? Is our offshore com- so offshore companies are playing by different rules essentially? Exactly, and it's 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 one of the ways to hide. Who are behind, like whose assets these are? Right. The way it works is basically these clients sign away the rights or, or the ownership of these okay. um, assets to the wealth managers or to these offshore companies, so they don't actually own them anymore. Right. And that's why wealth managers are very important in this equation because they are the people that give access mm. to these wealthy clients. And if you can cut off their access to these these assets, then they can't enjoy their yachts, they can't enjoy okay. their villas. Got wealthy it. clients. Yeah. So if these individuals did not give their assets and their value and their properties to the wealth managers, they would be playing under the same rules of like the country that they're in, the country that they're from, right? Yeah, and then you would, they would subject to the same taxes and all, all, all of the sort. But once it's the property of a company, it's like the classic, how do I buy a car without paying taxes for it? You make it a company car. Yeah. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, well, I'm curious, I'm gonna be jumping around here, yeah. but um, if, You've clearly found out a very effective solution to targeting these oligarchs. I'm just wondering, like, what if these, like, what if the word gets out to these oligarchs about how you guys found, oh, how you and your team have discovered a new way to target them? Like, what if they now kind of like pivot their methods of hiding 
their properties and their assets. Yeah, so I guess one of the silver linings of this is like if you want the privileges of the offshore system, you still have to go through wealth managers. To the earlier finding that autocratic countries tend to try and trust the same people, it's going to be very hard for them to switch wealth managers simply because of how many, um, you know, how many secrets they have. They don't want to diversify that. The third one is really that a lot of these oligarchs rely on the same wealth managers. That doesn't necessarily have to be the case. We've only shown that oligarchs tend to rely on one or two wealth managers. Mm -hmm. But what we find is they actually tend to use the same wealth managers. Um, how would uh, targeting the oligarchs help with the fight against Russia in the Russia and Ukraine conflict? Putin has a very strong like, grasp over all the oligarchs. And so a few oligarchs have already come out and said, you know, um, Putin, please stop the war because they don't have access to their, their vilas. Um, and so that has already happened. Okay. Um, and so this is very much about destabilizing the, you know, the public opinion of the strongman in this case. Um, Putin. Putin. I've also read that like there's like this very strong dependency that um, Putin has on the oligarchs and vice versa. Like they kind of feed off of each other. Um, and so obviously you targeting these oligarchs would kind of um, uh, prevent Putin from gaining so much power and control. And um, that could obviously hurt the regime. So, yeah. But um, how did studying at Annenberg help with your research of studying uh, Russian oligarchs? The whole study, I think, was very successful, um, like personally speaking, because I think a big part of it was because we collaborated with qualitative sociologists um, and combined, well, combined qualitative sociology with um, insights from um, like network science. And this is something that Annenberg does incredibly well. And I'd really love to shout out to like Annenberg's network network. It's like a research group here. That's exactly where I found a lot of insight or methodological insight. Yeah. Right. And what kind of impact do you think this research has on communications as a whole? And so based on these different, um, these regulations and rules, we're seeing very different coordination behaviors between normal users and say state actors and how they spread information or misinformation. And so um, a similar framework can be adopted for communication, which, which I hope to do like Continue moving on. forward, yeah, yeah. Um, what's the future uh, for this research? Um, how are you moving forward? So for me personally, it's definitely developing um, the science behind this okay. at a very broad scale. So looking at the different patterns, um, and then hopefully like connecting that to communication science as well, because I think there are very rich connections between these two fields. To the other point, um, the, the Swiss national television, I think, had contacted us. They want to do like a specific. Um, like a zoom in onto um, you know Swiss um, Swiss wealth managers, for instance, oh, okay. and um, like Washington Post also um, chatted with us about looking at a few American-based wealth management companies that have like foreign ties as well. Well, that was it for today's podcast. Thank you so much, Herbert, for coming on here today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. This was super fun. Yeah.